You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, and today, let's take a look at the five or six, we'll decide later on, Defensive players who are set for a breakout year as the underrated talent in college football for Texas A&M underneath Mike Elko. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is an online auto parts service system that has been serving customers for the past 20 years. Go visit rockauto.com and type in locked on on the how'd you hear about section so they know that we sent you. It's amazing selections, reliably low prices, and all the auto parts you will ever need. RockAuto.com is the place to be. As always, if you like this podcast, make sure you're following me on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to make this a more quality-sounding podcast Monday through Friday, give me a follow, give me a shout-out, and I will add it into the mix. Secondly, Locked on Aggies. Log on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th May related content found here on LOP. You can subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. We begin today's show giving you a couple of notes from SEC Media Days. It's going on this week, Monday through Thursday. Jimbo Fisher will be speaking Wednesday. We'll be breaking that down on Thursday, but you can also read the work that I'll be doing on that tomorrow on allaggies.com or at si.com slash college slash TAMU. Either way, you can get to that website. That's where you will find all of the updated notes on Jimbo Fisher's thoughts. But the SEC is taking a close look at several points of emphasis this fall that have been revised in its overtime rules ahead of the 2021 season. Added protection for defenseless players, a crackdown on unsportsmanlike conduct, taunting, guarding against players, faking injuries, and illegal contacts against quarterback are areas that the league underneath Greg Sankey have been putting against the microscope and will pay very close attention to during the upcoming campaign. You don't want to make sure that you are feigning injuries to slow down an opposing offense's tempo and the rhythm to stop, according to John McDay, the SEC coordinator of officials. So basically, here's the point of emphasis that you got to know. You know in soccer, when they try to get extra time by maybe saying that they hurt their leg, and it is hurt, but it's not as bad as one person thinks. You know how they are always like, oh, you know, I got hit in the chest really hard and I got to get a breather. Yeah, that's for extra time to slow down the offensive production. You can't do that now in the SEC. So what's going to happen is, if a player doesn't look hurt, or if a player say that they tweak their ankle on a non-contact play, what you got to do is you got to get them off the field immediately so the play can continue, so the drive can continue, so nobody is losing out on the point of emphasis and on the production for the offense, which makes it tougher for the defense to make key stops when an offense has momentum, and it allows the offense to have a bit of momentum. What's really funny is I was at Big 12 Media Days for my other job. What was it? Last week? Yeah, it was last Wednesday and Thursday. And the funny part about that was whenever that conversation was brought up about how the Big 12 can't stop anybody defensively, Dave Aranda from Baylor said, actually, that's far from it. They are going to be a team that is really good defensively, and the SEC 
is now going to be an offensive conference. And if you don't believe me, this is a good way to start. Because if you're now going to be seeing less and less fake injuries happen, so that way production can go on. This is something that has been talked about for at least two or three years. McDade said on Tuesday at SEC Media Days in Hoover, Alabama, a playing rule is not introduced to combat this because it turns out it is a difficult problem to solve. Feigning injuries is going back to some of the reasons we talked about where they're typically making rule changes. Feigning injuries is an offense-defense balance issue. Feigning injuries is potentially for player safety, and I'll give you an illustration of that in a second. It's also obviously an image of the game issue. Now, in recent years, the SEC has disciplined players for taunting, whether it be the throat slashing, uh, you know, last year with the shoe throw by Florida, you know, standing over an opponent after a big hit, mocking them, taunting them, belittling them. All those things have happened. Now, McDay said his team needed to reassess where these problems were during the offseason and how to handle such situations. Now, again, as I mentioned, I was at Big 12 Media Days. One of the key things that the officials said there was horns down, which is the, um, you know, the UT horns up, you put them down on a key play, play against Texas, now would be subject to be fined by a player if they do that during a game. Now, it is a little different because of what happens when you do a Gator Chomp for a good play on your squad or an Ole Miss Land Shark where they do the fins up kind of thing. What do you do then? Because of at that point, is it a problem if you're celebrating with your own team on the sidelines? What does that mean? As far as unsportsmanlike conduct, the taunting part of it and sideline control, which is specifically coaches being out on the field for the purposes of demonstrating against a ruling that's made on the field is something nationally we felt we needed to introduce as a point of emphasis. That being said, I don't believe we have an upwards trend of those two things in the SEC. There's certainly a small handful of things that have happened last year and we need our officials to intervene, but I think we're doing a pretty good job in those two areas. So again, what that likely means is that even though AM won't have to worry about this, other programs will. They don't really are going to be taunting penalties, but if you do it to an opposing player, it probably is. So say AM is playing Florida in the SEC Championship. If you do like a baby Gator Chomp, maybe you'll get fined. If a Florida player does a Gator Chomp because it's their school, they likely won't. Now, overtime rules alterations this season include a two-point conversion try that must be attempted after every touchdown in the second overtime and beginning in the third extra session, only two-point conversions will be attempted. Now, remember, for a while, it was four. After the third, you had to start going uh, for two points. You had to try to get two points. Now, you have two. Once the third happens, only two points will count. Extra period scoring rules have been fairly significant, McDay said. The statistics are looking at games with extra periods, and they show that there's 14.1 plays that are added to every period that's played. And from, again, a student-athlete safety standpoint, that statistically is significant. We had a game here in the SEC in 2018 that went seven extra periods. A&M, LSU, everyone knows what they're talking about. And in terms of the number of plays, that's adding almost a whole new quarter, a fifth quarter. If you go to the game, it's too much football after having played, let's say, 180 to 190 plays during regula regulation. So basically what they're saying is, you could have up to 
90 plays in seven overtimes. Because if you're doing two-point conversions, you're doing little things like that. Or what you can do is you now can go for it and try to win it now because if not, you're basically playing a fifth quarter. I'm not saying that nobody wants more football, but maybe I get that one. So a two-point conversion try must be attempted after a touchdown in the second overtime and beginning with the third extra session, only two-point conversion tries will be permitted. So long story short, game's going to end a lot faster. You're not going to see these quadruple overtime games anymore. You're going to start seeing these teams really hash it out, less plays, and maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. I don't really know yet. But what I do know is it's going to be interesting to say the least on how these teams handle this format moving forward. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get all your bets on the sporting action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all that on BetOnline.ag. The NBA Finals is coming to an end potentially tonight, so you're going to want to get those bets in. And you can also do it for UFC MMA, plus the NFL is right around the corner. Before next pitch, head on over to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbooks and experts. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network, underrated players. I love that term because I don't think enough people understand what I mean when I say underrated. People think I'm talking about a player who doesn't get that respect at the same level as someone like a... I don't know, a Kellen Mond or an Isaiah Spiller. People think I'm saying that they don't get that same appreciation as a, you know, DeMarvin Leal defensively. What I'm saying is their contributions might not be excessive, but they will be influential in a team's decision. Offensively, it's a little easier for the Aggies because they're not losing much. Actually, let me rephrase that. They're losing so much that they got to replace that talent. Four offensive linemen, a quarterback. You got to find a number one wide receiver. You got to be able to hopefully find a number two tight end. There's areas on that side of the ball where I do believe, yes, you have to find that common middle ground. Defensively, it's a lot harder. Because if you're only losing two starters, and McKinley Jackson, and for now, I'll say Andre White. Andre White Jr., both of whom have played, both of whom have seen significant snaps, they likely are getting that first dig. They're likely getting that first play. They're going to be those players who get that first team offense. And maybe it's fair, maybe it's not, but Mike Elko knows what he's doing after having a number, what was it, 11, 12 ranked defense last year, and they're trying to be top five nationally this year. So you get the guys who have the most experience. That doesn't mean that there won't be certain plays where the starters, like an Aaron Hansford comes out, where a a Jaden Peavy comes out, and you're playing schematically on guys who fit that role. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So let's go ahead. I got six guys for you. Here we go. Number six, Joshua Moten. Moten is a former four-star cornerback from Maryland, and he hasn't really played much, but he hasn't had to. Because if you look at his size, I think he measures in at five foot ten. No, my bad. He measures in at six foot. At least of what Texas A&M is saying. He also redshirted, 
But if you look at his high school stats under Andre Cates at National Christian Academy in Walford, Maryland, he was targeted just 16 times in 10 games. And of those 16 passes, he broke up eight and he intercepted four. So basically, he allowed four plays in coverage during his final season at National Christian Academy. He's a four-star recruit. Uh, he was projected to be a top 15 player in the state of Maryland. And he fits what I think the nickel defense is missing. You have Antonio Johnson. You have Eric Young. You have these burly guys. These guys who are more safeties. Players who have some speed, but they have some physicality to them. What if you're running a spread offense? You have to be able to have somebody who can play those shifty slot receivers. The reason they didn't play last year was he was a redshirt freshman. They redshirted him because they knew they were going to need him not in 2020, but 2021 and beyond. They needed him now more than they needed him then. I do wonder if he can put on some weight. He only came into the school at 167. So that's going to be interesting to see how he weighs. But for that size and agility, that's what you like in a player. You want a smaller, shiftier guy to match up with these smaller, shiftier corners. Because if you want somebody who can easily mirror that type of production. And that's not to say that he can be an elite player or a you know a standout superstar. But what it shows is he has a background and he's really good in that short burst situation. So imagine playing a team like Mississippi State. That may be his only game. Like That may be his biggest game of the year. But I promise you he's going to make the most of it because of his size, his shiftiness, and his ability to read and react in coverage will help out. Specifically, if they run a lot of zone defense. So I put him at number six. Number five. I'm going to put Fadil Diggs here. Fadil Diggs is the kid from New Jersey. I think he was the number one defensive end from the state when uh, he was coming out in 2020. Didn't really play much last year either. Overall, he's kind of blocked. A lot like Moten is in the nickel, he's also blocked at the defensive end spot. Because if you have DeMarvin Leal, who you can move in, you can move out. You have Tyree Johnson. You have Denell Harris. Kind of mentioned another guy that I'm about to talk about. But also, you have Michael Clemens. You have guys who have been there, and they're veterans there. They have been there for a minute. They understand exactly what you're looking for in a defense underneath good old Mike Elko. You don't have to really worry about that. So what's going to be fun is to see how do you play him. He barely played last year. He did have some tackles in the 48-3 win over South Carolina. But he's a superstar player, 6'5", 250 pounds. During his time, he recorded 19 sacks in his final year and forced four fumbles. He also was a tight end, and he had over 1,000 receiving yards for 11 touchdowns. So you know he's got good hands. He can definitely swat at the ball. Maybe you put him in on plays where you feel comfortable enough to run more so a pass rushing defense where you have, I don't know, let's just, let's just throw one out there. Michael Clemens on one end. Instead of putting Tyree Johnson in, you put in Diggs. And then what you do is you move DeMarvin Leal up the middle, McKinley Jackson up the middle because he's more of a nose tackle. You have them bull rush. He kind of plays the rover, just trying to get open a little bit. Ball comes his way, boom, pats it up in the air, catches it, he runs it back for six because he's got good hands. That is a guy that I want on my team. There's only certain situations you can use him in, but that's a good one, I think. Let's just keep this right along. 
I'm going to go with number four, Danelle Harris. Danelle's another guy. Didn't really play a lot. Coming out of Florida. State of Florida. Overall, good player. Didn't really have to. Because you look at the team. There was so much talent ahead of him. There was no place for him to go. But when you look at his overall statistics, they may not say something, but his mechanics do. When he registered at camp, I think it was in 2019, he had a 34-inch vertical and almost an 80-foot wingspan. Those are figures that are so explosive that when he gets down a three-point stance, he is the fastest up, which could be a problem. But also, it makes his technique very easily to stay balanced. And so what that means is he can extend his arms to get leverage, but on top of that, he has a great bend. He has a very great bend. That's what separates him from most players. That's because he gets low in his stance, he stays low going off the football, and then he can get into the backfield to a quarterback. He's a good finisher because he's got great explosion, and he's got good size that allows him to move, and he's quick. Now, there was a play, apparently in, sp- uh, in spring ball this year, where he actually beat Kenyon Green on three straight reps because of what he was able to do. And he could play both sides. And the other thing that they really like about him is that he could be a standing nine technique. So you know how Jadavian Clowney played for the Houston Texans and he was an outside linebacker? Harris likely in an NFL system would be a 3-4 outside linebacker, which is good, which is the same as a 4-3 defensive end. But you're from a two-point stance instead of a three-point stance. That's really where I look at this. I view this as an area where that's where the strengths are. That's where his his game is really at the best. You want him playing from that two point to where he can just come off the ball, automatically have that good bend, and win at the line of scrimmage to where offensive tackles who are in a three-point stance are thrown off guard. It allows him to extend his arms fast, get off the block, and into the backfield. Not saying he's going to be used a ton this year, but what I am saying is, when used properly, you're going to be able to have against a second-team offense absolute terror. So you're not going to see these garbage points games. And I do think that that does matter, especially for one seeding if you do win it all and make the SEC championship. Because, again, if everyone goes undefeated, you're going to start looking statistically at everything. What was your second-team offense like? What was your second-team defense like? What was your overall status? Those are areas that are really important. But the other thing is... When you do play him, you're playing him for the right price, and you're playing him at a really good advantage. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by rockauto.com. You know what I hate? Going to the store because if I have to buy things that I can install myself, and I just don't know where to look for the prices. Car parts are like the ultimate, always the one where you get overcharged. So go ahead and go visit rockauto.com because they're an online auto parts service system that has been serving families for the past 20 years. They have every price that you want and they have everything you could ever need from brake parts to tail lamps to motor oil and even new carpets. Example, I have replaced my back of my, um, my tail light. And I found the parts for an Audi Q5, the year, the model, and the low, low price from rockauto.com. Go visit rockauto.com right now to see all the parts available for your car or truck and write in locked on on the how'd you hear about section so they know that we sent you. It's amazing selections, reliably low prices, and all the auto parts you you will ever need. Rockauto.com, it's the place to be. 
Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021, presented by Locked On and Odyssey, featuring analysis from GOAT of NBA Mocks, Chad Forb, and Odyssey experts Brian Scalabine, former NBA GM Ryan McDonough. Our Locked On NBA experts will be making their selections and trades for some of you for those of your favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special event. Search The Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast listening systems. Odyssey is your home for all sports, podcasts, music, and news that matters to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y, Odyssey, for The Ultimate Mock Draft 2021. We keep moving right along with our expertise of the underrated players who could have an impact right away. I go up with the next name, number three, Deuce Harmon. People aren't talking a lot about Deuce Harmon because he's a freshman. Most people maybe don't even know him, but he definitely has all the tools you like coming out of Denton Guyer High School to be a really early contributor in some capacities. Much like Josh Moten, who, I, you know, again, he suffered an injury. We don't know how much he's going to play. He could have an opportunity to really play anywhere. He doesn't have ideal height for what you want on the outside. I think he measured in at 5'11", but he does have size and stockiness. The thing that's missing with Moten is the size on the weight. The thing that's missing with Harmon is the size with the height. Combined, they really are probably the best nickel defensive back Texas A&M may have ever seen. But what makes up for it is Harmon is so athletically good And he's got such great change of direction. It allows him to flourish very early on in his career on a multitude of different ways. Now, when you measure him at the combine, uh, there was a high school combine, I forget where it was. He came in with a 4.5340, a 40-inch vertical, track speed of a 10.3 of a 100-meter dash. And he does a really good job mirroring uh, wide receivers. Very good job mirroring wide receivers. Maybe that won't happen a lot, but much like I was saying about Moten, you can say the same thing about a guy like Harmon. You want to play him in a multitude of sets. You want to play a dime formation. You want to be able to play him a little bit here and there. There's a lot of ways you can contribute him on a defense in a multitude of different sets, and I do think he will have somewhat of a role this year. Number two, Edger and Cooper. He may end up being a starter. Like, like honestly, he may end up being a starter because if he is a perfect blend of both run-stopping and cover skills. And when you watch him on film, and when you watched him during the, uh, the the spring game this year, he was so good, you would have never thought he was a freshman. You would have never thought he was a freshman coming in. He really can do a bit of everything. He's very scheme-versatile. And with this 4-2-5 scheme, you're going to run into some dime at times. If he earns a starting role... This would be the linebacker you keep out there. Not Aaron Hansford, not Andre White. He's very good tackling. He has good closing speed. He can play at every single pad level. I do think the biggest thing he needs to work on is his run game. Because of when left in space, really, really talented. When asked to play up at the line of scrimmage, very, very hard. Very hard to get off and shed those blocks. But I do think when you look at his overall performance, he's a space player. Andre White is also a thumper. Aaron Hansford is a space player. But with certain teams, like Ole Miss, like Mississippi State, like even, I would say, Missouri on plays, 
you're going to want to have your more spacious linebacker out there. And that does not mean that Edgerin Cooper or Andre White is not a starter anymore, that they're not good. What it means is they are players who you're going to call on consistently to step up and make an impact because of the scheme that you're facing off against. Sometimes you don't play chess, you play checkers, and you try to bait your person into giving you that one, two, three, four, five skip, king me, and win the game. That is how you do that. He is a linebacker who I think could definitely be that. And the only reason he's not starting at A&M is linebacker is a very good position to have right now for the Aggies. But the number one player, easily, hands down, not even close. He's been the most underrated player for this defense for a while. It's Calder Carper. Carper is not a starter. Carper is not a big-time role player. But when he is on the field, it is dangerous. And teams know... I can't pass deep. And if I do pass deep, they better be playing in a cover two system and I better be throwing to the side that he's not on. Because if 14's playing in a cover one set and you just have him lurking as the center fielder safety kind of style, yeah, he's either picking that off or he's getting a play because of something negative is going to happen offensively when he is out on the field. Last season, he played in all 10 games. He only made two starts, but once again, he was a team captain. He has been a team captain now two years in a row. He broke up a pass in the season opener against Vanderbilt. He tallied four tackles against um, uh, Alabama. He saved two touchdowns from happening against Mississippi State. Five tackles against Arkansas for the year. He registered over 15 tackles. He also had his first career interception when playing against the Gamecocks. They also held the team to 150 yards or less. Less than 150 yards, that's it against South Carolina. He's a very good player who knows how to break up plays. He may not be an interception guy, but what he does do is he makes you think about throwing in his direction. He will break up passes and deep balls down the field. You don't want to mess with him. Now, the kicker is, is that you don't want him being your last resort of a tackler at that fourth level of defense because there's about a 50-50 shot he's going to make the play. But... If you look specifically at what he brings to the table as a cover guy, there may not be a better third safety in the SEC than him. That's how talented he is. I think a lot of a, um, a Tyree Gillespie from uh, Missouri, what he does, but as a third stringer behind Leon O'Neal and behind Amani Richardson, you can play all three and they will play a dime formation a lot where instead of calling on an extra cornerback to run a six defensive back set, they'll just play him in cover one. And I promise you, he will make a big time play. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. On tomorrow's show, it was announced today that Nick Saban found out that Bryce Young will make over $1 million this year in the NIL rule. Is this the norm for Texas A&M and college football? We'll discuss that much, much more tomorrow. See you then. And remember, you come y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies. Presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.